Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. September 14th, happy birthday, Robert Young, who I know will eventually listen to this. You are listening to The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host, Mr. Tony Acero. Hi, everyone. Tony, do you need retribution against tonight's show? I... I just don't want retribution, period. <laughs> and making her return after a two-week absence, the co-hostess with the most assists, it's Miss Liz Publisi. Hello! Um, he may or may not make an appearance later, Liz. We'll see what happens. We'll see how I feel. Okay. This one was for Nana Publisi. <laughs> All right, so a couple of things to discuss here. Obviously, SmackDown and Raw being prim- primary amongst them. However, um, I played the Union Underground at the start of the show, as I usually do today, and it reminded me that I've actually hit a very important part of my watch-through for Monday Night Raw. I finally hit the part where we have the factory opening with what was originally The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson as the theme song. It's now been dubbed over with some generic rock riff. So basically they're treating it like it was a CFO theme song at this point. Tony, what's your favorite Raw theme song? 
I don't have one. You're not encouraging discussion, sir. After all this conversation we had about theme songs last week, you're not going to give me this one? Really? Yeah, I'm not interested in that topic. Liz, do you have a favorite Raw theme song? I have to be honest. I couldn't name one if you held a gun to my head. They all sound alike to me after a while. Tony, say something. Okay, Tony, I need you to call back in, buddy. Your connection is shit. I can do that. All right. Well, Tony resets real quick here. Um, mine's actually the one I play at the start of the show most weeks. It's called uh, Across the Nation by the Union Underground. Move to the music, play that fucking music. Move it to the music, yeah. I mean, that was only one like that scope was going through my head when you asked. But if you if you asked me what was the one before that, I'd be like, it wasn't that for years. I guess I really should pay attention to them, <laughs> but I haven't. I want to say that Union Underground got replaced by Nickelback, but I can't say for sure on that. Mm, that sounds approximately right. Tony, how was your weekend? Very busy. Um, football started, so we had to figure out how to implement that into a place where we only have 30% capacity and people who watch football are not there just for 40 minutes. They're there for the long haul. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. This whole thing is a day-by-day thing, so... I would I would argue that it was complicated even further by the fact that one of your Los Angeles franchises was the first Sunday night game of the year as well. Yeah, well, my crowd is um, just a crowd that loves football. So there's not one team that takes over the restaurant, which is good. I I wouldn't want that. My Bills won. I'm happy about that. Yep, I saw that. Thought of you. Uh, Liz. I know New York. I'm trying to remember. Bedford Giants. I think Giants. My family roots for the Giants. I personally couldn't care less. But, you know, go Giants. And <laughs> whatever. They lost yeah. tonight. That's I don't really care. Which Boo. would make my girlfriend happy because she is a diehard Steelers fan. So, happy girl, happy world. Or so they say. Something like that. All right, let's get to SmackDown, shall we? Are you ready? <laughs> you know what? I've, I've, I've never been the biggest ACDC fan, but this, this song works for wrestling. It's, it's a good hype song for wrestling to get people in the mood to watch a wrestling show, I think. I think theme songs can set a can set a particular mood for wrestling. Me and Tony talked about this last week when Tony was mentioning to me about doing that greatest wrestling theme song of all time thing that we still need to discuss. You need to message me about that and give me more information about what you're looking for, though, Tony. Okay. But but I do think that ACDC works for um, works for SmackDown, especially with the uh, the new presentation and the. Uh, the wrecking, the wrecking, 
the recognizability that a band like ACDC has. Would recognizance have been the right word there, Tony? You're the word. No. You're looking more for, like, recognition. Okay, thank you. That. That's what I was looking for, what he said. All right. So, week three of big tribal chief heel Roman Reigns. And I have to say this one was a success in my opinion here. We start out with a, with a promo with Roman and Heyman. And Heyman specifically calling Jey Uso out to the ring in order to talk about what's going to happen at Clash of Champions. Jay and Roman are then interrupted by Baron Corbin and Sheamus in order to set up tonight's, the night's main event a little bit later on in the show. It's basic booking 101. Have team, have interruptions, make tag match player. If only Teddy Long were there to make it. The main event itself sees Jay Uso basically getting double teamed for the better part of 10 minutes until Roman Reigns comes out, makes the tag as Jay Uso's on the top rope going for the Superfly Splash, not a Frog Splash, but makes the tag while Jay's going for the Superfly Splash, comes in, spears Sheamus, and gets the pinfall. Show up and win, wreck everybody, and leave. Although there was one little bit as SmackDown went off the air, that Jay raised his cousin's hand, but he made sure to raise the hand that the universal title was in. And Roman shot him a, the fuck you think you're doing look? Tony, how do you think the main event scene played out for SmackDown this past Friday, specifically with the opening segment and then with the tag match itself? Well, let me preface this by saying that I think that so far, everything they've done with Roman is great. Um, I love him being a heel. I think it comes off naturally. I love Heyman's uh, promos. I love that they're going full Samoan with this. Um, they're keeping that in line, and it just makes sense. It makes this entire story so much better to unfold. Um, my problem lies solely with the way the match was laid out. We have been believed, we have believed for years, all of us, that the match doesn't start until everybody's there. Sometimes they make a big deal about it. Other times they don't. But you know for a fact that the match isn't going to start until everyone's there. And because they want to get this particular show up, wreck shit, and leave mentality, they just throw the rule out the window. And they're, I feel like they're insulting me. Um, just a minor quibble, but it just it was bothersome. It's another thing where it goes back to what I always, always say. It's just really lazy writing. Because, Harry, in a matter of five minutes, you could probably come up with something better. That's a how to allow that or why to allow that other than what they did Friday night. Cause it's just, you know, you got, you got a really good story and then you do something like this and it's like, come on, man. <sighs> Liz, what did you think about the way the main event was presented this past Friday? Um, first, let me say, I do have you on mute. So there'll always be a tiny delay before I answer, but I'll be as quick as I can. My gripe is the same thing as Tony's actually. I was going to say that I hope this isn't, in every match or every appearance type of thing where Roman is like waits to come out because it, it's already getting, you know, old. It's always been like a pet peeve of mine. I kind of think it's, you know, stupid. Um, but overall, I've really been enjoying what they're doing. It They're really playing it up on social media too. I mean, they're kind of like, oh, hey, did you know they were cousins? Yes. Yes, we did. Thank you. Um, and like this history, you know, between them and all like the family photos and um what Jay said about them going way back with um, 
with his family and somebody put up the photo and Heyman um managed um I guess Ricky Rikishi or whatever and, and whoever, I don't remember who it was. So I think they're giving it Some a lot of Samu, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say the wrong one. Um I think they're giving it a lot of uh good stuff. The writing has been in my opinion, you know, a very good. They have screwed up so many times when they have like family against family that I am slightly hesitant because I do tend to just tune out of those storylines because they always, you know, screw them, <laughs> screw them up. But um, I'm a fan of the Usos. I've always been a fan of. Actually, I haven't always been a fan of Roman. The whole the Shield had to grow on me. I just liked them at first. Um, and I hadn't watched NXT at that time or whatever whatever they were in at that time. But so I have high high hopes hopes for it. I thought it was very well done. But I can't really it that's that was my pet peeve, the whole comes out later. I mean we've seen it before. We probably haven't seen it as much as I feel like we've seen it, but if that's gonna be Roman's thing, it's gonna annoy me greatly. I'd actually completely forgotten about Heyman with the uh, Samoan with the uh, Samoan SWAT team. Mm-hmm. So I do think I do think this is one of the advantages of the WWE archive department and the fact that they have such a large archive to be able to go back and catalog this kind of stuff here in order to make it mean something to the viewer at home that may not know about Heyman's history with the Samoan dynasty. That being said, um, I thought their interaction in the ring together came off really well when it was just the two of them. I don't think we needed this match, but at the same time, I understand the whole tag team partners who have to eventually fight each other thing that they like to tell time and time over again. Tony and I talk all the time about wrestling tropes on this show, and that's one of the older ones as well, making pay-per-view opponents team up together. So it's really not a surprise to see it happening. It's more of a... It's more of a curiosity as to how they're choosing to go about the Roman character and if it's something that they're going to be able to get away with on a consistent basis. I do stand by what I said last week with Tony on the show. You weren't here for it, Liz, so I'll let you – I'll repeat what I said to, to, to you. I think Roman kicks Jay's ass at Clash of Champions, like violently beats him up. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking like busted open beating up because they seem to be leaning towards a edgier product on television recently. I, I actually agree. I, I, I sort of got that vibe in, I missed, I'm not going to lie, I missed the original confrontation with um, Jay and Roman, and I do have to go back and, and watch it. But on Raw, the whole look, not Raw, sorry, SmackDown, the whole looks that he was giving them, um, the new evil Roman, you, I think he has to destroy him um, to further cement his new heel status. I don't, you can't see him taking easy on his cousin. And I was kind of wondering, and it's probably like months out, how soon um, other Uso, you know, Jimmy is is close to coming back, and how that will play in, you know, if at all. I don't know how long he's out for. Um, Kind of hope it's not soon because I'd love to see I've I'd love to see you know Jay real or either one of them really get some good you know single storyline. I think he has. I think you're right. I think he definitely destroys him. I think he almost has to. So, 
Tony, I'll let you take the lead for our second major story for SmackDown. Why, Bailey? Why? Oh, my poor girl. Um, so this one, it's kind of hard to. I, I I can critique the hell out of this and just just be honest and say like not a lot of what she said made sense. That there's no proof. There's not even like a sly way to admit that she was using Sasha. Um, but it's one of those things that for me. I'm so anxious for this match that the story is like, all right, just let it play out. Like I'm, I'm not stressed about whether the intricacies of their, what they're saying is true or not. Um, I'm just super hyped for it. I, I, I want it. <laughs> so her explanation, although somewhat shallow or hollow, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm good with it. Liz, what did you make about Bailey basically saying that she was using Sasha the entire time that they were friends in order to advance her own career in the process? I mean, it's slightly believable in in terms. I mean, you do you do see that in real life, and you do see that in movies where one friend is using the other. I didn't really have a problem with that. I mean, they've definitely been building to this for a long time in one way or the other. The fans have wanted it, you know, for a long time. And I've said it before, and... Uh, I'll say it again. I usually tune out a lot of the women's wrestling, at least in the in the WWE, because it tends to very much be the same old, same old, and I'm not invested in any of the characters. And even way back when, when I started this, I would say, like, yeah, okay, Sasha, whatever, not knocking her talent or whatever, but I just wasn't invested in her, or even Bailey or Becky or Charlotte or really any of them. But since Sasha came back, I've totally been invested in her character. I don't know what you know, flip the switch for me. But now I just really want her to beat the crap out of Bailey. And it's not even before, you know, oh, Bailey turned heel, she's doing her job, you want her to be beat. I would have wanted her to beat her if Sasha was <laughs> was the heel. I think they're just doing that good of a job um, in it. And, you know, I'm totally behind Sasha. I don't have a problem with what they said. I know some people, and I've said this before about other people, I think with The Miz and, and Dolph, like, oh, them feuding is not believable because you see them together, you know, so much, and you see them on Mrs. and Miz. Like, it didn't fit. It didn't, it didn't work. It was stupid. But, and this is going to sound horrible, Bailey and Sasha, you can buy it off because women are really like that. Um, you know, women are catty bitches who will stab each other in the back while, you know, smiling in your face. So... It has that unfortunate believability to it. I didn't dislike the explanation, but at the same time, I think they probably could have dug a little bit deeper, perhaps a, a dark seated jealousy from Bailey about the fact that Sasha had as much success before Bailey did on on the main roster. That being said, like Tony, I really don't think it matters just because I think that you're going to get to the point where these two have their match. And if it's anything even close to what they were capable, what they put up in NXT, then I don't think that there'll be a reason to complain. Uh, Liz, mm-hmm. we moved to SmackDown quick hits here. And I just want to say, that your favorite ginger in mine has been absolutely murdering it since he came back. Sammy? Uh-huh. I know. I know. I was so... 
when he first appeared, I was thrown by his um, theme music because for some reason I didn't recognize it. That should be no shock to anybody. But I literally was like almost hopping up and down because I was so excited for him to be back. And he is someone annoying me on Twitter with some of his personal statements, but that's not for here or there. But I, I adore him on air. He's like, he's killing it. He's absolutely on on fire. I mean, he's just so great in character and on the mic and his little Elma Fudd-looking, you know, personality going on there. I love the whole, you know, fake champion, you know, fake champion thing. So, I agree. He's he's him, been killing it. Him calling Jeff Hardy a champion actually had me in stitches. I legit laughed out mm-hmm. loud at that one. Uh, Tony, the Intercontinental title scene over on SmackDown, significantly better than the U.S. title, no? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to toss this out there. I want to get a read on the room here. AJ, Jeff, Sammy, triple threat, ladder match, clash of champions. I'm down for it. And the I'm reason totally... I say ladder... Oh, go ahead, Liz. I don't think I'm totally down for it, but I'm leery of Jeff having many more ladder matches. The only reason I say ladder match here is because it makes sense given the situation with the double intercontinental title, and that's how we settle it the last time there were two intercontinental titles back with Jeff, with uh, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon back in 94. Exactly. I think it'd be nice. It, it's, it's a tribute to the past for the longtime viewer for the WWE, and it's also yeah. an opportunity for these three guys to go out there and just absolutely kill it at Clash of Champions. Mm-hmm. Ouch. All right, so here's the other major thing that I wanted to focus on from SmackDown. The women's four-way that eventually became a three-way, although it was more or less a singles match by the time it was over. (laughs) Tony, is there a better woman in the WWE when it comes to controlling her character than Alexa Bliss? Um... I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a loaded question. I do think that she's killing it, though. The the almost trance-like state after hitting Sister Abigail on the floor I thought was a fantastic touch and kind of teases where they're going next with her without outright telling you it. We talked, all, we talked a lot about the lack of subtlety in the long-term booking here. This is an opportunity for them to kind of tell a story with Alexa of Maybe there's an obsession with Bray Wyatt there that we don't know instead of just she's a Bray Wyatt follower. Yeah, yeah, there's something. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I like it. I, I don't like Michael Cole acting shocked that she hit Sister Abigail halfway into the move, but that's just Cole being Cole. Speaking of which, where was Facefucker tonight? Can I still say that on this podcast? Is that or is that like considered insulting to people? I don't care. <laughs> I'm hearing repo- I'm hearing rumors that Phillips might have COVID, and that's why he's been off TV. 
They're going to say that about anybody that's been off for a while, though. I I can neither confirm nor deny, and apparently if Tom Phillips tries to confirm or deny it, the WWE is going to yell at him. Oh, give me a break. Anytime somebody's off for more than a show, they're going to say, oh, it's COVID, and Vince is going to be mad at them if he says something, and blah, 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 blah. Even if the man has COVID, it's no... It's nobody's business. It's nobody's business. And the company can't even say it if if the other thing. It's so stupid. I don't disagree with that. Maybe the man took a vacation, for Christ's sake. I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, they did legitimately get upset with Renee Young when she announced that she had COVID. It's a real thing that happened. She said that? Yes, she came out and said that they okay. were not happy and that nobody checked on her either. Okay, so maybe that's why she left. All right. Maybe they didn't get to talk to her yet. Maybe there's a whole HR thing that we don't know about. There's six sides to every damn story, but just because somebody's not... Joe wasn't there tonight. Does he have COVID? <coughs> I mean, no, no matter, Joe, I'm Joe just saying, had... I'm just, Joe I'm just, just saying, had other stuff my, to do. Okay, great. I'm happy for him. My point is... All right, I missed that part where, you know, she said that. And, you know, she hasn't been doing shit on here, so her her leaving has probably, and this is way getting off topic, been coming for a long time anyway because she had nothing to do. You know, I'm a huge Renee fan. I follow her. I adore, like, everything that she says. But, and, you know, all right, they got mad. But we don't know the whole behind-the-scenes thing. But, but just because this man hasn't been on air, it could be a thousand things. Maybe, God forbid, somebody died. Maybe he took a vacation. Maybe he got married. Maybe he doesn't want people to know. The whole jumping to conclusion of, oh, they have COVID because they're not on air, and this is named at you, it's named at the Twitter fans who, you know, push this shit, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. From a business standpoint, from an HR standpoint, from a whole different view, there's a lot of reasons why they maybe don't want people to say stuff. And the answer, and this is, again, this isn't aimed at you, Harry, or, or Tony, it's just the idiot fans out there. The answer, oh, Vince is an ass, but the answer always is, oh, Vince is going to fire them if they say something. There's so much more that goes on from a business standpoint, and at some point the fans have to freaking accept that. A company can have whatever rule that they want. They really can. Some of them are stupid, and this goes for any company out there, even Tony's bar. They can be like, oh, hey, you can't say this, that, or the other thing, and they put it in writing or they let them know, and then it's done, and then Tony can be like, all right, well, you did it anyway, you know, bye-bye. That's the company's right. At some point, the fans have to accept that and get the hell over it, and then they get mad, like, oh, they didn't know something, but at what point, why do we have to know where Tom Phillips is? We don't. As long as, you know, we don't. I, don't really I just was wondering. <laughs> I was just wondering because I got tired of dealing with Michael Cole for five hours. I think they're interchangeable. Just, I, don't, uh, I miss Joe a little bit, and I'm mad that they gave me Ziggler as a replacement. But other than that, I don't care. Well, and then they eventually replaced Ziggler with MVP, which was cool. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I thought MVP did an excellent job on commentary tonight, but that's neither here nor there. All right, back over to SmackDown. Um, Tony, if Andrew were here, he would be bitching about the Lucha House Party. So since he's not, you are. You get to bitch about him instead. <clears throat> um, I, I don't really have much bitching. They're, they're not. They're they're uninteresting. And I mean, Kalisto, I guess, is eventually going to turn, which will maybe lead to a feud. At the very least, it'll be interesting among one another. But, um. 
this is the damage that is caused when you treat them like jobbers for multiple years and then ask us to take them seriously, but only when it matters. <clears throat> Wait, this has it's absolutely not nothing to... Sorry. Go ahead. Good. No, I was going to say this has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but since Callisto came up, Tony, remind me to message you about the Fantasy League to re- <laughs> because there's somebody major that's not taken that you should take. But anyway, Pat. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I'm in um, that same league. I'm in that same league, too. Yeah, but I'm in a lot of no, <laughs> But you're in different <laughs> leagues. You're, oh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. Good luck with that. All right. Anyway, um, you know what the problem is? The problem wasn't even so much Lucha. The problem wasn't even so much Lucha House Party for me in this match. It's that so goddamn tired cliche distraction finish. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I'm not a big fan of the Street Profits showing up in the same building that Ross <laughs> in the same area. <laughs> One day later, acting like they're in a completely different area and that the champions whatever is so exported that they've never been to that particular corner of the fucking Amway Center. Like, it, I can't, that, that, and to be distracted by that is annoying. So, um, I'm just really, I think basically what I'm bothered about is Cesaro losing. That just hurts my heart. I will say this much: the Latina chick that was back there partying with the street profits, I'm on me. Impressive. <laughs> I don't know. It was the best part of that segment to me. I like oh, yeah, that. Gable, Gable suddenly like what? What the hell is Gable doing? Is he heel? Is he face? Is what? Gulak? He doesn't strike me as a drinker, but whatever. Yeah, why the fuck does Gulak care? Anyway, <laughs> if I don't move on, I'm gonna I'm gonna tirade, and I don't want to tirade tonight because there's three of us, and I don't want the show to run an hour and a half. Okay, I guess I might end up tirading anyway. Liz, we start with John Morrison and Otis. Morrison decides to pitch the contract to Miz in hopes that Miz can steal it because apparently that makes a difference. Instead. We see Morrison left ringside by himself where he eats a pinfall from Otis. I think I sent a text message to somebody at this point that said, pay-per-view main event to losing to Otis in four minutes. Wolf. Liz? Hey, I'm trying to think of something fairly not negative to say. I, I didn't pay attention to the whole thing. Didn't really even really pay attention. The only thing I got out of that that um, sorry, my mouth is still dry. That segment was like, oh my god, Tucker! I was so happy to see Tucker, and then I completely lost interest in it because it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, I mean, I know you I mean event to losing whatever. That's, the whole the whole thing is a cycle. It, it happens. I'm sure there's going to be something else there where Morrison's going to win. But the whole money in the bank thing, I think at this point they should just get the get rid of it because it's it mean it means nothing. I mean, who's he chasing after? You don't see him doing anything with it, so it's pointless. Not to mention, it's not like Otis is a viable candidate to be heavyweight champion anyway. Tony, your thoughts on the Morrison Otis situation and then the contract conversation <clears throat> that Miz and Morrison had backstage after? It's so stupid. 
in in no world have we ever been um, made to believe that the contract doesn't have an owner. Like it, it's never been a thing. Yeah, we've seen people steal the briefcase, and we've seen Sandow make his own briefcase, and you know things like that. But in what world? And the Miz even brought it up like two weeks ago. So you're going directly in the face of of what just of what you've described as your own rules for this world that you're creating, which is WWE. Why would anybody think that stealing the briefcase would make any type of sense and make him Mr. Money in the Bank? Again, it's insulting. It's stupid. It makes your character look stupid. It makes John Morrison look like a fucking idiot. And why would Ot- why why would Otis care if he is the Mr. Money in the Bank? Then that's mm-hmm. it. That's that's it. He cashes in his contract. Does that mean they open the briefcase? He has to sign it and then hand it over to the ref because having seen every single cash in, I don't think that's ever happened. So uh, it's just, I think it's insulting. And I think it's a waste of time. And, and even though it's a little bit of time, because that match was less than fucking five minutes, it's still just, it's, it's horrible. And I'm not one that says Morrison needs to be in the main event and he needs to be doing this, this, and this. But I'm not a big fan of, of Miz and Morrison. I, I don't think they're that funny. I, I think that they're cheesy um, and not in a good way. I think that they're good with banter back and forth, and I like that they trust each other from a friendship and um, performance standpoint. But it just, I haven't really enjoyed any of their of what they've done. I think he kind of brought the Miz down a bit. The issue that I have is the fact that they're wasting Morrison in this B storyline. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Miz and Morrison's kind of run its course after the original run that they had. And I do think that both of them would be better off as singles competitors. But if you're going to do something together with them, with them like this, have it be better than what you're giving them to work with. Nobody has a follow-up for that? I mean, I just, I, I'm not interested in this. I don't know. The whole, the contract doesn't belong to anybody. I mean, it's dumb, especially what they did with um, um, Asuka winning, you know, the women, she got a title out of it. So does the title not, did the title not actually belong to her? No, it doesn't make any sense. Continuity is important. Apologies, I had to step away for a second there. Um, the only other time that we've ever seen a situation similar to this was with Rob Van Dam and Shelton Benjamin back in 2006, and that was a case of Van Dam defending the Money in the Bank contract in a match against Shelton for the Intercontinental title. What reason, what viable reason would Otis have to defend the Money in the Bank contract against Miz and Morrison? Oh, they're going to goad me so much that I put up the title? What kind of fucking moron would Otis have to be? You know, we've talked about it before over the several years that we've been doing this show, how I feel a majority of the Money in the Bank winners are sorely mismanaged. Um, You know, they either give it to someone that doesn't need it or that person loses every single match up until they cash in. And this is just yet another one, another moment that they just – it's like someone gives you um, a prompt for a writer. You know, like it says, what is your childhood, blah, 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 blah. So you already know which direction you got to go. It's it's a gift. The Money in the Bank contract is a gift to the writers. Like, hey, we're doing this again. What do you got for me this time? And this is what they're doing? <laughs> I think at this point it's more like Chekhov's briefcase. 
I think it's just them continuous. There's just they always they do this a lot. They created the the pay per view, and now everything went to shit, and now they don't know how to get out of it. So they gave it to Otis, and I mean, I don't even. I, I'm not. I love Otis, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve the money in the bank because I think you can make a story out of that. I think that's what the Money in the Bank briefcase is made for. Someone that you wouldn't find in the main event without it. And you, But what you have to do is you have to create some sort of care, more than just the lovable oaf that's fat and, you know, you, you took away the one thing that people connected with him with. And they went and shipped Mandy Rose over to Raw as well. Yeah, that's that one thing that everybody connected with him with. Grief. <laughs> um, Tony, I got two words for you. Wobbly walrus. Yep. This was horrible. There's nothing redeeming about this. This was stupid. It was inside jokes that weren't funny. Um, if you're talking to the internet fan, then you didn't do anything other than, I don't know, make us want to say, oh, it's good shit over and over. Um, it didn't make any sense. You're falling deeper and deeper into the mess that is the Firefly Funhouse. It was the same issue that I had with Bray Wyatt when he was the eater of worlds. I thought his promo work was great, was outstanding, and I understood every word he said. And when it went beyond, like, layer two, I guess you could say it just got it lost. It got lost in itself. It got lost in the the metaphors. It got lost in the idea that they're this, that, or whatever. And um, same thing is happening here with the Firefly Funhouse. The premise itself is relatively simple. There's a evil, you know, side to Bray Wyatt, and he tries to keep that Harvard inside with this like macabre kid show, and that's pretty much it. But the deeper you go into it, you get convoluted and you get messy, and you end up with a fucking walrus. A walrus that probably not so. Let's be honest. This is a one and done character. Hopefully, if they're smart, right? Like they'll see no, the backlash from this. They'll see the backlash from this and be like, "Okay, lesson learned. Maybe not." No, I think that this was self-serving, and that we'll probably get it again. Liz, your thoughts on the Wobbly Walrus? Um, he wasn't as entertaining as the others. <laughs> I don't really have an opinion on him. So bad for the parrot, though. You know what? That parrot being dead is still a better character than Wobbly Walrus. Yeah. I will admit to being wrong, though. I thought it was going to be um, Alexa, but I guess we're waiting a little bit on that one. Overall show rating for Friday, Tony? Um, I don't remember what I put, so I'll just put uh, maybe like 6 out of 10. Liz? Um, well, I did watch the show. I think there were very few parts. I kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe I was in a mood, but I kind of felt like, oh, my God, I have to watch this because Harry's going to force me to talk about it on Monday. So there was, I kind of, 
I don't know, I wasn't totally invested in it, so I'm gonna give it a um I'm gonna give it a seven. It didn't really hold my interest too much. Uh Tony, six is the exact score you gave it on the report. Alright, that makes sense. And I'm gonna split the difference for you guys and give it a six and a half. Not a ton of high quality in ring action this week. But there was enough outside progression other places, the Roman and Jey Uso feud, the Alexa Bliss angle, the Bailey explanation, that I felt entertained by the show enough to give it a passing grade. I do think that I... Te- no, I was not talking to you, Alexa Tablet. Shut up. I do think that... There's room for improvement over on the blue brand, but I also think that they treat the blue brand with a lot more reverence than they do Monday Night Raw on a more consistent basis nowadays. It's pretty obvious, and I think I may have sent this to Liz while we were watching the show. It's pretty obvious what they consider to be the A show these days. I think so. That brings us. That brings us to tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. And the main talking point that I had for tonight's Raw is Drew McIntyre versus Keith Lee as they tease that Orton won't be showing up at Clash of Champions much the same way they same way they did with Drew last week. Orton does not show up this week. And there is supposed to be a match between McIntyre and Lee. It goes on in the main event spot of Monday Night Raw after they have a pair of pull-apart brawls backstage. No wrestlers involved to break it up, Tony, which I thought you would appreciate. But the main event itself, though, gets broken up by Retribution. <sighs> All right, Tony, have that. Well, you know, we, it, it's it's become a broken record where Retribution as a whole um, – just doesn't make a lot of sense. You have people that are under contract. We've got a little bit more information tonight saying stuff like, you know, we were at the performance center and we're promised fame and glory and we didn't get it. Um, so are these contracted wrestlers? Because if they're not, how do they keep getting past security? Why are there so many of them? Are there only five or are we to believe that all 30 of these people that are masked up um, a part of this? If they are a part of it, why would these 30 people care? And why do we only care about the five and not the rest of the henchmen? Um, and then you have the idea that, like, they, they have um, they have graphics. They control the lighting. They have their own logo. It's only a matter of time before they have their own entrance music. Um, and then you basically, I don't want to say job them out, but Drew and Lee flipped over the ropes and crushed all of them, and now they're dead, presumably. So, like they're not even that good at getting retribution. And and the the message is still unclear. Um, I, I will say this. The best moment out of this entire thing was watching the Hurt Business come out and look like they were about to beat some ass. It was almost like face status. I think the way that MVP, uh, Bobby, and Shelton have handled themselves as the Hurt Business has done nothing but a credit to all three of those men's character work here. We kind of talked last week about Cedric's involvement there and how he automatically flipped that switch from super cool, nice guy baby face to mean, growling, grimacing, angry heel. But I do think that um, 
like you mentioned when they came out at the end of the show, it, it added a error of credence to their to their message about the fact that they'll fight if the money's right. They'll fight. And obviously Adam Pierce met their price. Liz, what did you think of the McIntyre and Lee match and then Retribution's involvement at the finish? I I enjoyed the whole um Drew Keith, you know, um thing. The build up, the little the brawls backstage. Um am I enjoying it more than I normally enjoy friends versus friends? Like I'm enjoying this Ostrom Bailey because these two can pull it off. Probably. I mean, but everybody just wants to see Keith beat up people. Um, of course I'm a Drew Walk, we all know this. Um, the match was the match was good. I was kind of like this is going to sound stupid. Like I have no idea actually if Drew's drawer is really hurt or if it's just storyline crap. But um, you know, I, I can I can buy into it. I had a, I think everybody had a feeling that retribution was going to come out there. One of my biggest issues with retri- retri- retribution is that their outfits look horrible. It looks like they raided a thrift store to find some you know find some masks rather than spending a few bucks on some quality items. You know. Um, so they just look too sloppy <laughs> for my taste. Um, but the, Tony's right. The best part was um, the Hurt Business walking out at the end. I think it was totally on, on point. They looked like they were going to, you know, really get get down to business. I love how sharp they all, they all dress. Like, they do not phone it in. And I absolutely love there's some days where they're coordinated if you look closely. Top, top, top notch. The hurt business is my absolute favorite part of of Raw. MVP has been my favorite part of Raw since about the third week he showed up. The first two were a little like, oh my God, what are they doing to this man? And then after that, he just he just took off. So I I enjoyed the end. I enjoyed the and I loved what Drew and Keith flying over the thing. You don't expect Drew. Okay, you've seen it. You really don't expect that some stuff from you know a guy Keith saw. I thought that was great. Tonight's episode of Liz Puglisi Fashion Police brought to you by Goodwill. <laughs> Coming soon to A&E. Anyway, uh, we opened the show with champions versus champions, tag team versus tag team here, and we end up seeing the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits, pick up a victory over Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura when... Cesaro eats yet another pinfall, Liz, this time at the hands of a Montez or at the hands of an Angelo Dawkins frog splash, which, by the way, okay, uh, Angelo, leave the froggies to Montez, because that was fugly. Yeah, he, I mean, I I want to say that, you know, Cesaro deserves better. We all know that. We're all just beating, you know, a dead horse. But even Nakamura, I was completely distracted. I don't know if it's the color on my TV. I have a great TV. The color on my TV, but Nakamura's gear just totally distracted me for half the match because it kind of just, I don't know, it kind of reminded me of something you wear, like when you're in front of a green screen and you're doing special effects. It was just so shiny on my screen that kept distracting me. I mean, it was a, it was a decent match. Um, I think Cesaro losing two shows in a row completely sucks. Tony, your thoughts on the opening tag team contest in order to have our champion versus champions match? 
I'm just I'm really bothered at why the, I, I don't understand why this is happening. Are we are we mm-hmm. unifying the belt? And if we are, we just saw the Street Profits beat Cesaro and Shinsuke. So why should I care to see it again? Um, also, mm-hmm. I just I don't want to see Cesaro lose. It like it hurts my feelings. Like I I wonder every time he's in the ring and he just like he, he does things so effortlessly, like picking up a man. Like I haven't picked up very many men in my life, but I would gather that it's not an easy task. And he's just freaking he's a beast. And it makes me wonder, like, man, what if they legitimately put some energy behind this guy? You know, it's not just the promo. The, 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 the promo doesn't matter. You know, you can that's, – that's the easy part. You can make them not talk. You can make them beat ass and not say a word. You can put them with a, a mouthpiece. But so for what I, so when I see tonight, it just, eh, just makes me sad. Do you remember when he legit body slammed a big show out of the ring in the Andre after carrying him around the ring before doing so? That's how yep. fucking strong Cesaro is. Um, so for the purpose of tonight's Raw review here, and I, we do have another major talking point to get to, which we will get to in a second, but for the purpose of tonight's Raw review here, I'm using uh, Tony Yacero's Raw report over at 411mania.com. And, Tony, I'm going to directly quote you for this particular portion of tonight's episode. Are you ready? Sure. Backstage, Lana is complaining about Mickey getting a title shot to Angel. He says he being Angel, pronouns foul, says that it's unfair and that Lana's passion for justice is intoxicating. In comes Zelita and God damn! <laughs> yeah. I believe that's how that was intended. Yeah. Yeah, it's like someone poured wax on her and let it dry. Holy shit. <laughs> they forgot to say win for Zelina's outfit tonight, Liz. As our resident fashion, fashion critique, what did you think of Zelina's outfit? <laughs> She's gorgeous as always, but this one for me, she usually comes out and you're like, holy crap, there's no other woman in the world who can wear that, and no other woman in the world can wear what she had on tonight. But I didn't know what the fuck it was. I loved her eye makeup, and I loved her hair, and you know, women everywhere would love to have her body, but the whole top thing just was weird. This is going to sound creepy, and I don't care. I think men everywhere would love to have her body as well. You're such a jerk. I am. I've accepted it. All right. Um, Zelina finally has had enough of Andrade and Angel's shit and walks off, leaving them. And Angel and Andrade scrap, and it actually looks like a, a pretty impressive scrap between the two of them, Tony. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a level of trust when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the lucha libre wrestlers and the fact that they are kind of familiar with each other because I would imagine that Angel and Andrade grew up together because their families are in the business. Angel's third generation, Andrade is second. So you would think that they've grown up around each other, even if it's not explicitly stated before. So I feel like there's going to be a level of trust that's there for them to be able to lay in these shots in order to make it look good on TV. Yeah, and I mean, they just maybe they're just good performers. Maybe they just want, you know, they just want it to look good. 
I mean, I suppose that's a possibility. All right. So the other major talking point that we had on tonight's episode of Raw that I wanted to touch on is the cage match between Dominic Mysterio and Seth Rollins. Okay, Seth is back. I was wrong. You happy, Tony? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Now that that's out of the way, um, is Dominic ever going to wrestle somebody that isn't named Seth their buddy? Or I'm not your buddy? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing no, because it looked like he got legit hurt in this cage match. But regardless, overall, what did you think of how they put together the cage match, Liz? And Gadzoon Height, by the way. Thank you. No. Um. Um, the cage match was, was pretty good. I'm guessing Buddy's going to turn on Seth and be destroyed before Seth actually leaves. I don't know why people thought he was gone already. There was a lot of that buzz around Twitter and this really ridiculous YouTube video I some for some reason listened to. Um, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. I've been enjoying Dominic's stuff, as I said before, and the whole Mysterio family, even his idiotic father. Um but I'm now at the point where, okay, it's been weeks and it could stop. There has to be some conclusion to it, and I'd like that within the next week. Okay, I want Tony's thoughts on the cage match, but first I think we need to get him a Zyrtec. Now we're good. I just did some Coke. Coca-Cola. He was thirsty, people. Continue. <laughs> I think I just legit popped Tony. Uh, anyway, um, your thoughts on the cage match, Tony? Um, so everything before the break was incredibly uh, formulaic, a lot of repetition, um, but the kids knew, you know. And I mean, I I don't disagree with the length of time that this is going on but I think what it is just by seeing some clips of the backstage stuff is that they're genuinely trying to make this kid into something and they're trusting Seth to do that you know if you work with one guy enough you feel a little safer he's probably being like you know taken by the hand and, and led into every single match and Seth is doing this out of the kindness of his heart but he, he probably also sees something in him so um, the only thing that they can do better is make it a little more interesting. And I don't want to put too much thought into um, the moves, but what's going on between Buddy and Seth, I think, is the next step for them. Um, Ray Mysterio's daughter checking on Murphy was kind of interesting to me. Um, it was small, and it was not that big of a deal, but if it turns into something out of that, I think it could be cool. So I'm at least interested in that new fold. Uh, Seth versus uh, Dom, you know, part 17, I mean, it's not the worst thing that could happen, but I think what it is, is I I think it's truly them trying to um, get him ready for another person. Uh, From what I've seen, you know, literally been hugging him backstage saying that, you know, not a lot of people get that kind of pop and blah, blah. I don't know. I think, I think that they're, they're trying really hard with this kid. I think there's potential in Dominic, but I can argue that there's just as much potential in Aaliyah as a character right now as there is in Dominic. 
Um, I stand by what I said when when Liz was gone last week here on the show. Aaliyah's turned into a beautiful young woman. If Aaliyah has any interest at all in joining the family business, I'm sure that something can be found for a person like her. After all, um, Eddie's daughter, Shaw, was with the company for a couple of years as well. So I'm sure that something could be found, even if it's not as a wrestler, per se, in some kind of interview role, some kind of manager role, some kind of, dare I say, love interest role, like kind of what you saw, maybe the way that they're leaning with her checking on Murphy tonight. I do think that Aaliyah could be somebody that could be used on television and, if done correctly, could turn into a marketable piece for their for their public relations department. Now, as far as the cage match itself goes, yeah, I thought the beginning was rather pedantic, but I do think it definitely picked up once we came back from the commercial break. And I do think that while being in the ring with Seth is going to do nothing but make Dominic better, you have to eventually reach a point of diminishing returns when it comes on this particular matchup, especially when it's happening on a week-in, week-out basis or, as the case would be here, five times in the last two months? I I will encourage you to remember this, though, Tony. He's not your buddy, guy. Well. He still is to us. All right, let's move on. Uh, quick hits for Monday Night Raw. We start with Cedric and Ricochet in the opening, and well, in our second contest, I guess, technically. <coughs> Liz? Yes. What do I think of it? I think it's great. And I, I think it's great. I was, it, was, it was good. I love the new um, uh, Cedric. I've always liked, I mean, who doesn't love Cedric? But I love the new Cedric. I love that he turned on them. I've been waiting, I've been waiting for it. I think he fits so much better. Um, with the Hurt Business. I just was about to call him the Hurt Locker for some reason. <laughs> Not the movie. Um, I thought it was really good. I think they have many good matches together, you know, um, with them. I like the way the storyline's progression. I like, the, I like the match. I can't really say anything negative um, about it. Tony Kent's probably. <laughs> Uh, so the, the the there was a common thread tonight with a lot of the matches in that I think every match had a particular reason. This one in general is kind of what started it off. Uh, Ricochet was mad, and he was also hurt. And you know how often I talk about a match that it usually involves two people that damn near murdered each other, and they start with a lockup. Um, this one did not fall under that. <clears throat> this one actually started off with some vigor, and um, it, it, it lent to the to the match like there it was great it was a solid because of that because of the energy that was there because of the fact that it was like dude you fucking screwed me over we were friends like not only am i upset with you but i'm hurt and i think that it translated into a really good match and the way that they sold that lumbar check Harry. He left us. Uh, okay, well, I guess I'll 
do something about it. Um, yeah, I noticed that for a lot of the matches tonight, we saw um, like there were reasons behind them, and there was energy. Like like even Seth and and Dominic, there it wasn't just thrown together. It's like they're not really happy with one another. Um, yeah, it was. You saw with. Um, I mean, even Eric and Lashley to a degree, even though that was kind of garbage. Um, right. So I, I was there. I was, uh, Kevin Owens and Aleister Black, another one. They they they're not happy with each other, and I think that that was an interesting. Well, the unfortunate thing is that tonight was still relatively boring, and that leads me to question: Why is it boring? Like, if we have matches that are like people should be eager to see, why mm-hmm. are we not eager to see them? And I think the answer lies in the fact that we've seen some combination of it more than once and it just gets relatively exhausting. I'm back. Well, what I... Hi. Hi. Go ahead, Liz. Well, I'm, Respond I'm, to Tony I'm, and then I'll pick up where you guys are. Going with what Tony Tony was saying about, you know, common threads, there's very there's quite a bit of friend versus friend or former friend versus friend, you know, going on right now, Sasha and Bailey, Cedric and and Ricochet, Drew, and um, Keith, which are those really not friend versus friends, but, you know, friends showing, you know, oh, hey, who's, who's a better champion or, who, you know, whatever. So there's, there's that similar, I mean, Seth, you know, Seth and Buddy, you know, all right, Buddy was his minion, you know, whatever. But it's the same, almost the same, I guess, storyline or or type of thing in so many different um sections. You know, there's the same storyline is happening amongst, so many different people that it's kind of like, okay, I just saw this five minutes ago. Well, that's kind of what led to me calling tonight's episode of the the podcast, what I called it, going back to the old In Your House pay-per-view, Good Friends, Better Enemies. Because you said that, uh, you said, you guys have said that um, it seems like there's a lot of that whole personal interaction going on in their storylines now. And I think that that's intentionally show in order to make a more realistic uh, a more realistic feel to it. Back to the um, Cedric Ricochet match. I loved the match. I thought it was fantastic. I thought that there was an air, there was a tension that was palpable throughout the course of it. Like Cedric knew that he was in for a fight, and Ricochet knew that he wanted to beat Cedric's ass. And on a related note to that match, Jeremy Renner to join the Hurt Business as well. That's a Hurt Locker joke. Never mind. Whatever. (laughs) Just messing with you, Liz. All right. Um, Mickey James and Oscar. Tony, how do I put this politely? What the fuck happened? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you're usually better at noticing that what happens, you know, than I am. I, I don't know. The I, only thing I, I can think consider Mickey is got concussed. maybe, yeah, I think maybe I the know. ref saw that she wasn't all that. Oh, okay, she knows. I know. <laughs> Did I? I've been well. I maybe know. I was scrolling Twitter as um we were talking, and Mick Foley. So Lance Storm tweeted like he hopes Mickey's okay, and Mick Foley responded that he's been hearing that she did something to her shoulder. And that's why they um just that's why they they had that wonky finish that she actually legitimately got hurt. How bad it is they didn't say. I don't think they know yet. But they said that it was it was stopped because of her shoulder. 
How refreshing is it that Mick Foley's just chilling at home watching Raw? Right? It's the greatest thing. Well, I mean, if there's if there's going to be anybody watching, it's going to be the diehards and the former wrestlers, man. But anyway, I thought the match itself was actually really good up until that point. I thought that they put in a pretty good performance here. I know, Tony, maybe you weren't quite as high on the match as I was, but I think the wonky finish had a lot to do with that. No, I, I just think that sometimes, depending on who she's wrestling, Mickey can be a little bit floppy, and that kind of uh, was on it was on display tonight. Not super bad, you know. They Oscar is really good at recovering, but realistically, just yeah. Liz, what did you think of the match? Tony Gibson's hair tech. Leave him alone. Um. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Um you know, I have always said that I don't notice all the little details that you guys you don't notice, so I can't comment on, you know, oh Mickey gets, you know, such and such a way. I enjoyed the Mickey um Oscar match you quite a bit. I thought it was you know, I thought it was a good match. Is it one of the best matches you had out of either one of them? You know, definitely not. But for what we got, what we saw, you know, up to the wonky, you know, finish that you were kind of figure, you can't really figure out, well, how did she hurt her arm or get hurt or whatever. I didn't mind. It was a good match. It held my interest. I can't, I'm not going to, you know, rag on it. I didn't like, I liked what came after, but I didn't like what came, the way it came after, but it's all good. Well, I guess that's kind of where we have to go next with this here, Tony, because uh, God damn made her way down to ringside. And issued a challenge to Oscar for the War Women's title. Okay, don't get me wrong. I love Zelina. I have been one of her biggest supporters for the longest time on this podcast. It makes zero fucking mm-hmm. sense for her to be in the Raw Women's title picture, Tony. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're not wrong. But also, that's fine. She is, <laughs> she is way in over her head. Um, she showed zero fear from Asuka. She is just, yeah, that she's gonna get her. She's gonna get destroyed. But it's within her character. So you know whether you think whether you consider it the brashness of her, you know, East Coast vibe, or just the fact that we've seen over several months that she thinks incredibly highly of herself. Um, it makes sense for her to for to make that challenge. Liz, I heard you agreeing with me, so I want to get your thoughts here. Um, they just acquired Mandy Rose, who was just in a high-profile storyline on on SmackDown. They've been kind of teasing things with Natalia going forward. You could argue that a return match with Mickey, if Mickey's healthy enough for it, would make sense for her Clash of Champions. But it appears that Zelina's the way they're going, and it doesn't make sense to me. I like Zelina, but she has no business in this match. So, I think it was totally random, and sometimes the totally random works. Um, but, and, and I'm not knocking Zelina. Zelina is very, you know, very talented. No, I'm not going to lie. I'm not familiar with a lot of her wrestling because there was a long gap where I was not watching NXT or, you know, religiously. I didn't have the network. I didn't pay attention to it. I don't have time for everything. Um, so, I'm not 
whatever I'm saying is not a knock against her wrestling ability because I'm honestly I have to go back and watch matches I don't know how she is in the ring I want to assume she's good because she's good on everything else but who knows she's a great character she's a great um I love her. I I've loved her you know all that all that she's done she is very brash and bold and very like I don't want to say in your, in your face because I keep saying that and now I hate it but you know she you know, she's going to jump right into it, and I get that, and it fits her, but it was, I think it's possibly, you know, a reset for her, of course, to get her back in the ring and away from just managing people, but you're, it just doesn't make sense. You just had all these other women who've been in the title hunts or whatever, you know, on and off, you know, just there, you know, whatever. You broke up the Iconics for whatever reason, you know, so I could almost see Peyton more being in, in that spot. I don't know where that, you know, going with this. I definitely think she's going to get her, you know, ass handed to her. I think she should. I don't want to see it be completely creamed. I don't. But, I mean, I can see them using it as a reset for her to almost knock her down a peg or two, um, you know, attitude-wise, and it not sitting well with her and not pushing her and pushing her where she becomes, like, you know, slightly unstable and keeps going after And I could see that, and I, I can get behind it. But this is just one of the times that the, okay, I'm I'm pissed off at these people, and I'm done with them, and I'm going to go pick a fight with somebody else. Just didn't make any sense. I don't dislike Zelina eventually getting to the point where she's going to challenge for the women's title, because Zelina's actually a hell of a wrestler in her own right. It's been a while mm-hmm. since she's been an active competitor, but she's a hell of a wrestler. That being said, it makes zero storyline sense for me in terms of the of whatever championship committee there would be on Raw to grant Selena's request here because of the fact that she doesn't have any kind of an in-ring pedigree on Raw other than getting her ass beat for two months by Bianca Belair. Speaking of which, where was Bianca on TV tonight? Where's Bianca been for the last five months? Whatever. Moving on. She probably has COVID. <laughs> okay. Well played, Liz. Um, so, over on SmackDown, Jay Uso is turning his tag team partner's injury into an opportunity at the Universal Heavyweight Championship. Here on Monday Night Raw... Eric is losing in two minutes to Bobby Lashley. I have a very strong personal bias here. I have had the opportunity to work with Eric on several occasions. The dude is incredibly talented and super underrated. Mm-hmm. That being said, if I'm throwing my bias aside here, I can understand why they did this to keep Bobby Lashley looking good with the U.S. title because, let's be honest, the U.S. title hasn't really meant a whole lot over the course of the last couple of months, especially when it was around Apollo Crews' waist. Facts are facts. Mm-hmm. Tony, what did you think of Eric and Bobby Lashley tonight? <clears throat> On one hand, I think... Oh, look, they're going to give Eric at least a little bit of a push since his homie's, you know, at home recovering. And then he gets his ass handed to him. Um, So I guess not. (laughs) 
I don't know. I, I'm not saying that Eric should have won, but it was just really weird and kind of unfortunate to see him go so quickly. I don't want anyone to lose like that. Liz, your thoughts? It was one match. Um, I don't take, maybe wrongly, I don't take some things as serious because I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of it, out of it like you guys. I am just strictly a fan who's been watching it since she was three to like 41 years, you know, whatever. So I see, you know, whatever. Um, it was one match. I'm not going to, I mean, yeah, we all liked it, like Cesaro, you know, whatever we were saying. But it's it's one man. She came out here. They had a, you know they're trying to make Bobby look like you know some sort of beast. It fits in what's going on with Bobby. I'm not ready yet to say oh well they're gonna like um, just do away with Eric because you know Ivar is heard as some people are insisting it's only a stinger and other people are saying it's you know more than that. Whatever. Um, hopefully he's not out too long. I'm not ready to write Eric off as like oh I am useless. It, 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 I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. He's going, I mean, they have half the people showing up in the underground anyway that they don't know, you know, what to do with. Nobody's bitching about that. Big Lou was down there a couple of weeks ago, whatever you want to say about him. This week he was on commentary. But whatever, I'm not ready to write it off yet. We'll see what happens. It's, it's come out that Ivar needs surgery. Oh, you were wrong. Oh, my God. I, I'm behind on my news. I had a life. I missed a few things, but... I'm just saying. I'm, so he's going to be out a while. That doesn't mean that, you know, Eric's going to be, you know, dumb to give it a week or two, and then they'll come back to it. Just, yeah, I, 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 originally it was thought to be just a stinger, but apparently, apparently there was a cervical injury that was suffered that's going to probably require surgery, according to the newest reports on Ivar. That really sucks because I love, I love Ivar. I wouldn't want to see that to happen to anybody, but not a lot of people thought it was just a stinger. I'm just saying that. Well, not a lot of people thought it was the Hurt Locker either, so. But you know what? It's like 12.42. I only get like four hours of sleep <laughs> a night. So I had a, I had a, I went there for some reason. I missed their name. I didn't have a whole, I didn't have a whole argument pulling out articles out of my ass, posting it to people saying, Oh, it's a stinger. So sometimes, Harry, you have to be pointed out when you're wrong too. So go ahead. Tony's just sitting back and enjoying this. To the point that I think we've lost him. Oh no, well. keep it moving. Oh, uh, yes, let's keep it, keep it moving. I have to go to sleep soon. I'm old. Um, okay, so let's talk wasted potential in the evening, then. Ron Grung last week had Kevin Owens and Aleister Black. I actually enjoyed the match that they had inside of the underground. Tony did not, but neither here nor there. You can listen to our conversations as to why on last week's episode in the archives. Tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw had them competing in a singles match in the ring. And, Tony, I think we can both agree that that finish was absolute horseshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the match itself was okay. They didn't really do too, too much, but I think that's understandable given the fact that this isn't going to be anything near a blow-off for these two. So you kind of do want to save the major matches, the major moments and everything for when you do blow it off once and for good. That being said, the distraction finish, allowing Owens to hit the stunner, 
what part of fight Owens fight says fight Owens fight unless you can take advantage of a distraction? Then go for it. Yeah, not only that, but it's just it's they've fallen into this trap where they have an easy out for matches that they don't want to end with a, a finite decision. Just flick the lights a couple times and we're good. Well, you know what the solution to that is, don't you, Tony? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume it's, you know, security, but don't, we've seen that not work. The solution to that is don't book the fucking match if you're not ready to have it mean something. Oh, no, that makes too much sense. Liz, what did you think of Kevin Owens and Aleister Black and that horse shit finish? I mean, well, I mean, I enjoyed his tweet where he's like, he says, can you believe Alice the Black attacked me from behind of all nights, the in-your-face edition of Aurora, the Audacity? I think that, you know, <laughs> sums it up. Even he knows it's stupid. Can't really say much more than that. I was going to talk about the Riot Squad versus Lana and Natalia, but the match was already over by the time I had a chance to even think about it. The Riot Squad, who two weeks ago explained how the Riot Squad was dead and they would no longer use that name. Yeah, them. One minute and 11 seconds. It took Nia longer to put Lana through the table than that match went. Yeah. See what happens when your husband goes to AEW. Go ahead, Liz. Give him shit like you did me. Go ahead. I'm waiting. I don't think she's going to AEW. I think they'll lock her in for a long-ass damn time because they're not that freaking stupid. Um, and she whether... has nothing. doesn't matter. She has nothing for you. She has a lot of fans. A lot of people like her, and they know that. They know that. They also know that they just lost. Renee just left. So, okay, they have the... Renee's going to AEW, which there's no fucking thing for Renee to do there. Just like there was no goddamn thing for her to do with WWE anymore. So is is Lana eventually gonna go? Who knows? But they've had her they've had her, whether you like her or not or anybody likes her or not, I think she's man anything on that on back on the show for weeks now. Yes, the storyline was stupid. If you watch their YouTube video together, they're friggin' hysterical together. They are like the greatest D list celebrity couple out there. You know, they are hysterical together. You know, they even said it. You know, it was shit and whatever, and they and they know that. Fine, she doesn't add anything. You know, for you, she's not a great listener. But you know what? If you watch her, you know, just like people give me shit, like for you know Baron, I watch his shit. You know, and and whatever, and he's a whatever. He's his real self, and you can get behind him and his character because of that. Lana is not an idiot by any means. She's not. She's a little bitchy blonde at times, but. The, she actually does, and even if you don't want to hear it, if people don't want to hear it, she actually does put a lot of passion into trying and to, you know, doing her goddamn best. And that's more than that can be said for some people who are way better than her in the ring. They go out there, okay. you know, they phone it in, they think they whatever. So whether you think she adds something or not doesn't fucking matter as long as they think she does. And I would be surprised if she's not there for at least another year before they cut her loose, especially since he went there. It's a business move. They can find a thousand things for her to do. They can put they can get rid of all those freaking idiots that they have backstage that interview like say like four lines a night and have Lana do it. She's actually very well spoken 
people they keep her shoehorned into this ridiculous role that she can't you know can't get out of. And if you followed her stuff, you would see that she actually speaks about that very nicely, not trashing her company as other people you know will do. And then again, that's a smart business move. If you go out there and you trash your company, I don't care where you work. You can work for Pepsi, you can work for a hospital, whatever. They're gonna they're gonna get back at you. That's the way of the world, unfortunately. So there's a lot of people that don't add nothing. Titus is still there. My mother would burn that place down if they fired Titus. You know, there's a lot of people that you can say don't add anything, but the company thinks they add something. So our opinion on it doesn't matter. And just because our husband went somewhere doesn't fucking mean she's going to, too. And they'd be an idiot if they cut her loose. Okay. First of all, I don't think they're going to let her go anytime soon. Thank God. That That being said, I personally... The Lana character that we see on television has run its course. She definitely is fresh. If this is an opportunity to write her off and then let her come back with a fresh character, then I am okay with it. Because the Lana we've seen on television has jumped the shark many, many years ago. Okay, I wouldn't say years. At least months. Maybe years. Possibly years. Regardless. The point being here is at no point did I think she did I say she was going to leave for AEW. I said it would not surprise me to see her end up there eventually if Miro ends up having the kind of run that I think he's capable of. Because let's be honest, Miro was 100% wasted as Rusev. There is no arguing that. That is a guy who could have been a main eventer for the WWE and never became one despite the fact that everybody was behind him. If this is an opportunity. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. If this is an opportunity to write her off TV for a while and rework her character so she she can come back as something more palatable, then I will give them the opportunity to do that. If she comes back as the same old Lana that she's been for the last two years, then I'm going to continue to not care about her on-screen character, and that is my primary focus here on this show. Off screen, I don't know what she's like. I don't watch her videos. I don't watch her blogs. I don't watch her her TikToks or whatever the hell it is she's talking about because I'm not a social media person. I'm not a huge social media person. Lana's going to be with WWE for at least a couple more years. AEW will never sign her because there's no reason to. Her character is horrible. Her acting is horrible. As a person, she could be a fucking saint. On the show, she sucks. I don't care what WWE thinks about her because this podcast is about what I think. And what I think is she's garbage. But I didn't, you know what, I didn't dis- disagree that people have the right to think that she's garbage. But the two of you quite often, if you don't like somebody, you don't want to hear anybody's opinion on it. It gets slightly frustrating, you know. And that's fine. I admit that her character is fucking trash. There's no denying that. And they should give her the opportunity to, you know, whatever. And what I was saying wasn't strictly aimed at you, Harry. It's aimed at a lot of people. I know. You know, so no, I don't like that you're like, oh, I said this, I said that. Because that's not, you know, what I was saying. Yeah, I do disagree with you that maybe they should give her a chance on on everything. I don't disagree that her character is is trash. I'm talking about, you know, fans in general. The reason that I yeah, brought it up with, the way that I brought it up, 
the reason that I brought it up the way that I brought it up is because we specifically talked about it when Miro was revealed on Wednesday. And that's the – or when was it Wednesday? I don't remember. The days have been all screwy. I think it was Wednesday. The only, that's the only reason I brought it up the way that I brought it up. Before we go any further, I have to ask, Liz, what are your thoughts, what are your thoughts on Naya? You can't stand her. <laughs> okay, you can stay. You're good. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Everybody knows it. I don't, you know, and I'm not saying, oh, yeah, because I follow. My point in saying, oh, if you watch Lana's stuff is so that you would see that, you know, or other people, not just you. It's like a general you. It's not Harry, you know, or it's not Tony. How she talks about what she wants to do, and she admits, I, you know, they don't let her, or they don't give her, you know, whatever. Or she doesn't know how to translate, you know, whatever. So I'm talking about that, that there is a person behind it who is trying to learn this craft that you both, you know, claim to love and, and all, the, you know, all this shit, that she does have a passion for it, and she is trying to learn. So you see that with her and anybody else when you follow their social media. That was my, well, that make, was my point. I will make you a deal. Send I don't need you to follow her stuff. I don't need you to follow her stuff. I just need you to accept my opinion of it without constantly being made to feel like I'm wrong for having that opinion because I don't have a background in wrestling. I don't want I, a background in wrestling. I never said you were wrong, Liz. That's quite often how it comes off. And that's I is trash. We I all know that. That's just how I come off in general. It's it, it's not intended that way. Hmm. Are we even going to waste time on Raw Underground? I don't feel the need to. Nope. Liz, anything for Raw Underground? No, I have no idea why Braun showed up. I like his new gear, though. I will say this much. I know if ever there's a, a move that ends a real fight, it's a power slam. Yeah, that's very true. And that wraps up a rather eventful episode of the reaction coverage of Monday Night Raw. We promise we don't actually hate each other, I think. No, we don't. I adore, I adore Harry. I just sent him a whole bunch of snacks. No, wait, I have one more thing to say, and it's not about Lana. This whole Nia, Shayna, um, um, tag team, if it doesn't end with Shayna having Nia retire... I might be the one that never watches this crap again. Anyway, there you go. I mean, I'm all for Naya going away and not coming back. Yeah. So wish okay. her the best in her future endeavors. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? I didn't hear what he said. I was reading something. Go ahead, Tony. Repeat it. I wish her the best in her future endeavors. <laughs> That's going to be my blurb on the chair shot tomorrow. We wish Liz the best in our future endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> especially when, especially when, actually, when Greg has all my cursing. I'm actually tempted to rename this episode from Good Friends Better Enemies. No, I think actually Good Friends Better Enemies works, given the tone of conversation we've had on this episode. I think I could not have named this episode better. Final reaction time. <laughs> Tony, favorite match or moment from this week's ep- this week's episode of WWE Television? Um, it's it's crazy that when you temporarily disappeared, I was speaking on how Raw, um, nearly every match that you saw, there was a level of importance to it. There was heat involved. I mean, they even made Drew and Lee 
suddenly not be friends anymore, which, by the way, I'm not a big fan of. I didn't think that they needed to do that. And, I mean, you know, it, just, it came off a little hokey. But when you look at the show, every match had a reason to happen, and the people involved had a reason to dislike their opponent. So it brought this energy to the show as a whole. And yet there was still this lackluster feel because even though there was a reason and there was energy, nothing felt new, nothing felt like it was solved, and nothing felt like it was finished. That's not always a bad thing. But um, I, if if I were looking at the, the uh, show as a whole, I really enjoyed Ricochet and Cedric, and I enjoyed their dynamic. I enjoyed Ricochet for once sounding real and not scripted or forced to cut a promo that just didn't work with his vibe. Um, You got the impression that, you know, like I said, he was genuinely hurt. And it's small, but because because it's Ricochet and we don't expect anything from him in terms of promo, it kind of shocked me. So I'm going to give it to them. Liz, favorite match or moment from the two episodes of WWE television? I'm going to have to go with the same thing as Tony. I think Cedric and um, Ricochet definitely had the most real, you know, feel to it. I think they both um, spoke the best, and it it was the most, it was, uh, what's the word? It was very much the, um, very much like some year at the turning point for the, for the two of them because they've always they're amazing amazing wrestlers of course and they had all those series of matches together whenever that was um, that were amazing matches but it was nice to see there's almost a bit more intense in each of them you know the betrayal by Ricochet and the Cedric like yeah I'm sick of this shit you know the, all the stuff that we say oh my god Cedric deserves better now he feels it too so it's like he's portraying our our feelings you know back at us um, I didn't so much mind the. I didn't really take that. Take it as Drew and Keith are no longer friends. To me, it more came off as like you know, oh, two big you know guys. You know, not bickering. That's the wrong word. But like two you know really close Temple's friends who are, you know, it's kind of like the oh the um yeah like oh my father's tougher than yours thing you know type of you know type of thing like you know who's tougher like that guys you know sometimes sometimes do you know and it gets a little heated and. They're going to fight for a cup. It's like a friendly, not friendly, you know, thing going on. And then in a few months from now, they'll team up and beat somebody else up. I believe the non I believe the non-peachy way to put what Liz just said is it turned into a dick measuring contest. I didn't want to say that after all my cursing. That's exactly free. what I was going for. You know, it's like yeah, feel crash. free. We don't censor ourselves on this show. Um. I, I actually kind of understood where they were going from with the uh, with the McIntyre and and Keith Lee thing, though. It's not that they weren't friends. It's just that Keith Lee kept prodding and prodding the sore spot for Drew to the point that Drew told him to knock it off or he was going to put him on his ass. And when Keith tried to do it again, Drew tried to put him on his ass. Hence the sucker punch. I actually really enjoyed their match against each other until the finish. I'm going to go with that. I'll be the contrarian here. I, I really liked Cedric versus Ricochet. And I am happy that those two boys got the time that they got to tear the house down on this episode of Raw because it was a really good match. But I do think that the Drew and Keith Lee match could be the start of something even bigger going forward. And if that is the opportunity to happen there, then it's something that I'm really interested in seeing. So I'm going to go with McIntyre and Lee. What's your Greg Watchery, Tony? Um, just retribution. It's just 
I'm sorry, but it's dead on arrival for me. There's not there's not much that they can do. I just want it to get over with. Just let these people debut and bring them into the fold and just take this as an L. <laughs> Liz? A number? You want me to rate it? Um, I only no, think no, 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 no. Greg, oh. Greg Watry, your least favorite match or moment from the two shows. Oh, my least favorite match or moment between the two shows? Mm. I, mean, I don't. I don't dislike Retribution as much as Tony. It's stupid. It got stupid. I had high hopes for it, but it got stupid. Um. Yeah, actually, I can't think of anything that was as dumb as that. So I'll have to go with that. I'm gonna go back to SmackDown and the tag and the tag team champions in non-title action and that fucking house party that happened in the champions lounge. Because if there's one thing everybody loves, it's a good distraction finish. Fucking dumb. You beat them twice in one week for no goddamn reason. Tony, scale of 1 to 10 for Raw. Um, six and a half. Liz. Seven, because it had a lot of hot true. Seven, but not for the same reason. Um, Zelina. Technically, yeah, it was a six and a half, but Zelina earns it that extra half a point. Exactly. <laughs> no, um, tonight's Raw was very heavy on the in-ring action, and what stories were told backstage led to in-ring action. Yeah, t- t- underground's going to be a thing. We just kind of have to deal with it. Retribution's currently a thing we kind of have to deal with. I stand by what I've said before on the show. Liz, you you were missing for the last two episodes, so you didn't catch us here. So I will let you know for your benefit here as well. I'm willing to not judge Retribution until we know who they are. I think that the build has been kind of hit and miss. I won't argue that. But at the same time, I think jumping to any conclusions until we know who the members of Retribution are does them a disservice as a group going forward. And I get that Tony feels the way that he does because Tony's having to actually sit and actively recap this. And believe me, that makes a massive difference in terms of opinion. But to somebody mm-hmm. who's just casually watching the show while prepping to talk about it here on the podcast, it doesn't bother me as much as it does Tony, who's having to deal with it on a week-in, week-out basis and describing it. Can I say one thing before you wrap it up? I think well, we do I'm going to say anyway. We do still have MVP to go. It, is, is it okay oh. if it waits until after MVP? Yes, absolutely, because my MVP is MVP, so you can just skip over me. <laughs> That we've made that reference several times here as well, because Montel's been killing it since he came back. Tony, who's your MVP? Yeah. Um, Zelina's shirt. Oh God. <laughs> that would actually be MVS, most valuable fabric. <laughs> I don't have a way to top Tony's answer there. I really don't. Uh, I'm going to give it to Keithley. All right, Liz, go ahead. Floor's yours. I think, I think just 
quickly regarding the underground. I think the biggest problem, I don't have a problem with the underground. Everybody likes a good fight. The whole, now that they got rid of the, you know, the stupid women dancing, um, because that was pointless. The whole fighting thing, I think people could get behind that more, because at least it gives the, everybody's always bitching all these guys, blah, blah, blah. At least they're doing something, and they seem to be enjoying it or fake enjoying it. The biggest problem with it is Shane. It very much comes off. I can't think of the name of the story, but I, I have to. I'd have to look it up. There's this very somewhat classic story about this rich man who has an island and he brings people out there like to hunt, you know, because he can because they're rich and they're powerful. It's very much like this, you know, rich guy who has people fight, you know, kind of like gladiators in the Coliseum almost just for his his enjoyment. He's the wrong person. He brings nothing to it. He doesn't have the personality for it. I personally think, and not just because I'm a huge mock of his, they need to have Wade Barrett host it. And the whole thing will what? turn around. Wasn't that the plot line for The Condemned, the Steve Austin movie? Probably. I never saw it. Tony, you're but a movie watcher. Did you ever see The Condemned? Yeah. Wasn't that basically the plot line? A uh, rich guy makes a deal with a local prison for inmates on death row to come to his island and fight to the death for sports. I mean, it's so not an uncommon storyline. There's uh, different variations of the same thing. Hunger Games is another example. Where can people find you online, Tony? Pornhub. <laughs> Where can people find you online with your pants on? <laughs> Same answer. Uh, 411mania.com. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter. Tony Acero, 411. Any updates on the book? When I have one, you'll know it. I have to ask. Liz, where can people find you online? Uh, LizzyP224 on Instagram and Twitter. H-E-B the Eagle on Twitter, Facebook, pretty much any major social media site that exists that I'm on. That's my handle on it. I'll be honest. I don't check them a ton. Just not a huge social guy. If you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook, Ari Broadhurst. I do use Facebook. I use Messenger as well. If you want to talk wrestling, by all means, feel free to shoot me a message. Um, I think that wraps us up for this week. We have predictions to do next week as... Even though it seems like the last one was just a week ago, it's been four weeks since we last had a pay-per-view, and apparently that's too long in the WWE in current days. <laughs> so Clash of Champions will be not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. I think I popped Liz with that. And we will have predictions for that where every title is on the line, whether we want it to be or not, at Clash of Champions going forward. So for the returning co-hostess with the most assists, Miss Liz Puglisi, and the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. I'm Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next Monday night at 1130. Deuces, bitches. Ladies and gentlemen, can I have some decorum, please? Aw, she left. That was specifically for her. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you guys later.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.